This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to episode 6 of the Practice of Learning Teams. Today we'll be conducting a mini learning team with my colleagues uh, Brent Robinson and Gladys McCarthy. In today's mini learning team, we'll be talking about extending the notion of work as imagined and work as done as being more than just the black line, blue line, and then looking for learning opportunities on the pathway. In most organisations, um, we talk about uh, work and when you're leading an organisation, you get to realise that at some stage it's work is imagined. We come up with a range of procedures and policies and it's the way that in the office we quite often think about how work is getting done out in the field. And it's really important to understand that that is how we think it's happening and as we need to move through each one of these stages, we need to develop our learning along the way to where work is actually done. So that's going to be the conversation that we're going to broaden out today. And I think the fact that we need to prescribe workers imagine is actually not wrong. Now, there is a practical need to imagine or to think about how work should be done. Yeah, we, we you know, when we're starting off a project, we need to understand what that actually looks like. Absolutely. Where it's coming from, what's... And creating it is really important when we're trying to plan or implement uh, new processes, uh, new systems, you know, layout, plant and equipment. If we're trying to schedule operations or activities around resources and demands, um, doing upgrades, maintenance, or even just basically basic improvements around safety as the result of a review. So I think work is imagined um, is fundamentally important to have that because that, that's where we start from. That's our frame. Yeah, I agree, Brenda. It's our starting point for all organisations. It's also a duty of care from the from the organisation's point of view that they have thought about how a task or activity is going to be done in such a way that people are not going to be harmed. So that's your starting point, isn't it? And I think um, from a visual point of view, the way that work is imagined and work is done is, is being sort of shown, it basically um, infers that there's a sudden change that happens between work is imagined and as work is done. Well, what we're basically trying to uh, provide some transparency about is that it actually changes as it moves through parts of the different um, parts of the organisation, how people see risk changes as it moves through the organisation. Yep. And more importantly, that, that risk, that view of risk also changes where organisations are forming part of a supply chain or a contract chain as well. So really what you're saying there, Brent, is it's multifaceted. It is. So it just doesn't shift from one to another. It actually changes as it goes. And I've been struggling to to use some words to express that change. Uh, originally I was saying that that risk um, evolves or devolves as it as it as it goes through the organisation, because it's about um, those different perspectives. Because um, when we talk about the blue line, black line, 
we sort of show like a, um, a, a sort of a curve going up and then coming back under and going back up and back under. I suppose that difference between above the line and below the line is the same thing as saying that the risk evolves or devolves through that time. Rather than saying it starts at the top and it ends at the bottom at the end. In actual fact, yep. it's actually flowing. It's changing as it moves through it. And so you're saying that it's changing based on changes within the organisation or changes in the daily work and as people are adapting? Or it's you're also talking about how it's a people the way people see it as perceived is that it's changing and it's evolving or de-evolving during that over a time period between those different sections. It's changing because of those couplings that Todd will talk about. Yeah. Those things that are influencing both um, the hazard and those things that are influencing the, the person and the environment. And it is all those couplings which are really hard to, to um, visually create because they have so much um, interdependency on each other. And I think that's important when we're talking about work as imagined, that you, when you're imagining how the work will be done, you will, won't have that context around those changes or those, or those couplings. You know, you're, you're effectively thinking about it in quite a, a pure way. This is the way we hope it's going to happen. Yeah, very much in an abstract way, isn't it? Um, yes. Without that full understanding of the context. And don't forget, the context can often change in a very small way over time, or it could change in quite a radical way over time. Um, but certainly there is a learning that takes place. Once you apply your thoughts, so once you take workers imagine and start to apply, actually there's a whole lot of learning that takes place around all of that minutiae about how you go about doing something. So as part of this podcast, uh, we'll be releasing a, a diagram which basically uh, looks at that, uh, how that risk ebbs and flows. I think ebbs and flows is quite, is quite useful. It's a nice, way, nice way to think of it. Yeah, so how risk ebbs and flows as it moves through the organisations. And, and we've defined that as uh, four categories. And we've defined those things um, as a flow, as a linear process. Uh, why don't we explore some of those as a team, I think it's quite a really useful. So I might kick off. We start off with good old workers imagined. And workers imagined is, is how the organization states how the hazard, you know, and, and the activities that we do are to be carried out. And this information is found in our systems. And the organization ultimately has to accept through its risk assessment process whether it finds um, the risk associated with workers imagined to be acceptable or unacceptable, or they have to tolerate. But what's that next flow? So after we have workers imagined, how we plan or we perceive things, how does that flow down? What's that next phase? What are your thoughts, Brett Robinson? Well, it's really workers' thought is, <clears throat> as we start moving through the organisation, it's how management thinks about those hazards and risks within those work, that work and activity. And really it's now starting to change a little bit, isn't it? It's, it's you know, over here we had the very pure, this is how work is done. And then workers' thought is in the middle, it's one of the middle sections, you know. So, like, management's getting feedback about what's happening out on the, out in the field or out the shop floor or wherever it might be happening. And that's changing the organization's view. So they've now got a view around workers' thought. This is what we think is happening. 
So it's changed from how we imagined it was going to be to how we think it is. We're still not down the other end there. You know, the next part of it's going to be workers disclosed or workers reported. And I think um, that's where, you know, team leaders and supervisors or subcontractors are effectively saying, well, this is, um, we're telling you this is how we're doing the work. And sometimes I think that can be, this is they're telling a story of how they want the, you know, they're trying to tell the organisation or the management team what they want to hear. And, you know, I think it's really important as we move down this that we understand that there's those things there and that this, you know, Glynis has talked about this quite a bit around building that trust up between these these sections. So that's a bit like the fact that um, workers disclosed or workers reported basically means that um, uh, that group of individuals, they're having to live with what they can do. Yes. In other words, the organisation has espoused what they think good looks like. And yep. then the people within that workers disclosed or workers reported, they're now having to actually carry that out based on the demands and the constraints and the capacities of that work that potentially work as imagined or workers thought didn't actually know about or couldn't actually cater for at the time. Yeah. And this is often how people actually talk about the work that they do. So this is the language that they use to talk about those things that either support good practice or become barriers to good practice. I think, you know, what we've got, what we've got to get to here is, you know, it's really understanding what, what we're being told at this point. If we're, you know, in that, in that leadership position or we're um, trying to critique the system and understand where people are at, this is a really important part of it. But again, it really gets to the next point, which is with the people doing the task, work is done, finding out what they're doing and what constraints they're having to deal with, what how they're having to adapt to situations, how, you know, things are actually happening in the field, on the ground, wherever they happen to be doing that work. And it's, you know, I, Brent, I, you've talked about it before, but it's like that game Chinese Whispers, right? You know, you start at one end, you get to the other end, and you might start saying A at this end. When you get to the other end, it might be T. And I think that's a really a really good way to characterize what we're talking about here and how do we, how do we how do we adapt to that and how do we feed back through the organization and improve you know because it's about improvement at this point isn't it look it is and i think the chinese whispers game or also commonly referred to as the uh, telephone game is a really good example for people in a leadership position to actually see the fact that communications does vary as it moves through the organization Therefore, if communications vary as a move to the organisation, then surely risk has to change at the same time. Absolutely, and often that communication channel is one directional. So it goes from workers imagined through workers thought, through workers disclosed or reported on to workers done. And often those people at a leadership level don't actually know how work is done until something goes wrong. Yeah, and And I think it's top down, isn't it? We're pushing workers imagined down to workers done, thinking that we've done our, we've done as leaders or managers, we've done our job, we've we've given them the rules to play by, without understanding what the game is necessarily. So we've told them what's expected of them. Yes, and you know, without you know, and lean, they'll talk about going to the gimba, and it's 
Well, and it's really important. You know, if you're not going out there to have a look at what's going on, and it's not about auditing, it's not about any of those things. It's about understanding that what those people are having to do on the ground. And you only get that through conversation. If you just go out and observe practice, actually, typically when someone comes out to observe your practice, you do it perfectly. Yes. What you really want to know is that those things that underpin good practice, and you can only get to that by talking to people where work is done. So one of the reasons why we wanted to show uh, how this risk changes or how this risk ebbs and flows was to basically really say that there are some learning opportunities that can be had as risk moves through the organisation or as risk moves through the supply chain or the contact uh, contract chain. Because it's, it's you know, as, as humans, we, we love a good linear process because it makes us easy to follow. But in reality, it's not a linear process. And I think, Glynis, you came up with something that was quite fascinating about how to represent that slightly differently. Yeah, well, we've bandied about a few different ideas, haven't we? So we've talked about, you know, we've talked about lines, we've talked about intersecting lines, we've talked about, say, Venn diagrams, where you have circles that intersect with one another. But I think a good way to represent this is with concentric circles. So if we put work at the heart of our first circle, then what sits most closely to it is work is done. And then that sits up against work is disclosed or work is reported, how people talk about that work, which is supported with how we think about work. So work is thought. So those are your policies and your procedures, which in turn should be reflective how work is imagined. And if we have circles that are of unequal diameter, actually it all starts to fall apart. Yeah, They need to go from small to large and they need to be equally spaced. And without that, we get a bit of a disconnect. So I think a lot of organisations try and talk about how do we stop that risk from uh, ebbing and flowing through the organisation. Whereas I think what we're trying to say is that's normal. But it has to ebb and flow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it has to ebb and flow. And what we need to be doing from a leadership point of view is making sure that that ebb and flow isn't too large. Right. That we can cope with that ebbing and flowing, that are, that our systems are supporting good practice. Yeah, they're not acting that, as a barrier. That, you know, I, what we're saying is what we're saying here is our systems can't be brittle. They need to be able to large enough or robust, not large enough, but robust enough to let that ebb and flow happen because it's naturally going to happen, and they that ebb and flow hopefully fits within the system that we've built around it. Right. And th- therefore, those uh, uh, opportunities for learning happen at those points. Is that what we're basically saying? That we should be looking to get those learning opportunities um, as risk ebbs and flows, as it moves through the organisation or through the supply chain or through the uh, contracting chain. Yeah, and I think... You know, I like that idea because what I like about it is as you're learning, you're building, you're making your system more robust. And I, that to me seems to make a lot of sense. You know, we've got, we're building that robustness and from that learning opportunity that we've created. It also follows the PDCA model, you know, that we're doing continuous improvement, that we don't yeah. think that just because we've imagined something, that that's going to be perfectly and um, entirely implemented. 
and that there will never be a variation. So I think that we have to build into our systems opportunities for us to review at those critical points. And those critical points are as we move out of those out of those zones. So we, as we move from workers imagined into workers thought, making sure that they're closely aligned. As we move from workers thought as to workers disclosed or reported about, that again, that there's some alignment there between what we are saying and writing often versus what are we saying in terms of how do people talk about the work that they do. And then some evidence that work is done is in line with workers disclosed as workers thought as workers imagined. There's some real power there, isn't there? That, you know, back to your point about continuous improvement, that that learning opportunity actually creates that opportunity for some continuous improvement. And, you know, PDCA is a great way to describe it. It's it's a 50-year-old process. There's nothing new about it. It's older than 50 years. Um, But there's nothing new about it, but we're using that to improve those systems of work. Absolutely, and Brent's talked a couple of times now where the PDCA model, I suppose, has sort of morphed over time. So we've, you know, it started off as the PDSA. Yes. There was a, a period in there where we studied, but actually, I think that what we what we do often is that we do check, but we don't do check deep enough. So for me, study is about really having an understanding of kind of nuance. Checking to me is kind of going with a with a, a, a form and ticking things off. Yeah, I think check has been um, replaced by audit mm. and you're not doing it right, you're not doing it right and we're not taking that opportunity to say, well, you know, plan, do, check. Uh, we, no, we need to make a change here. You know, the system isn't as good as it could be or we, we can um, learn something here and we can take that learning opportunity and come around again. <clears throat> and continuous improvement, <clears throat> excuse me, is a step up each time. You know, we're, we're improving the system. It's an incremental small step each time. And I think, yeah, I think you're 100% right. That, that If we just stop at check, we're, we're, not going to, we're not going to learn anything. We have to be able to fulfill, fulfill that circle. It just reminded me that it, that's actually reinforced in um, ISO 45001, you know, the International Standard for Health and Safety, where it talks about that you need to identify the opportunities for improvement. Yeah, and, and I think businesses have lost the fact that it's about understanding, you know, looking for the opportunities for improvement. Where do they sit? Where do they exist? Yep. And, and, and I love a classic one from, from Dr. Todd, where he talks about, you know, remember that we are managing uncertain outcomes with certain controls and that we need to use that, uh, that PDSA model of improvement because we need to identify the opportunities for improvement to support the management of those uncertain outcomes with certain controls. Because that's what we're doing. Because at the end of the day, the only person who is exposed to the risk is the worker. Yep. And it's the responsibility of the organisation to try and make that worker as successful as possible by having controls that will provide those those safe outcomes for the worker to begin with in that way. So I think what's quite interesting, um, I think you had a really good example, Brent Robinson, about um, uh, COVID-19 in the state of Victoria in Australia. Oh, yeah, we're, and... we're living it at the moment where, you know, what's happened is that the government and the departments have effectively put in the system, you know, workers imagined we're going to do hotel quarantine and it's going to work like this. And then they've put in all sorts of processes 
to do that. <clears throat> but then it <clears throat> got down to, you know, workers thought and they, they've subcontracted it and subcontractors are doing workers disclosed and workers reported back up the chain and down the chain. But it looks like that nobody has actually been able to report back or have reported back work is done and the, you know back to the, what Glennis was saying before about PDCA we're not checking we're not acting we're not going around through the circle again and I think that's going to be you know we're living that particular problem at the moment you know the whole of Victoria has felt it you know it's you know, we've gone from I think the numbers were in wave one, we had 12 deaths. We will pass through, sadly, pass through 800 deaths um, in the next day or so. You know, and I think that's an that's a epic failure of a system. And you know, people, you know, people want to blame people and hold people accountable. But really what it's saying is in unprecedented times that our systems were incredibly brittle um, and we weren't going back and improving them we didn't take those opportunities to learn and so, i think so it's some a great people, example moving forward some people would basically claim that there was no time to do that they're saying that they were you know time poor um i heard an example the other day which basically said um people weren't given sufficient time to train so how how could we ask them to do something if we didn't give them training I, i'm not convinced that a virus knows about time no or whether the person's trained. Yeah, the, the virus... Or the, pre, or the prequels being up to standard. Yeah. You know, or, or that the, uh, the, the the font type of the SOP looks good. Yes. And I think this yeah. is a classic example that we're dealing with uh, a well-known hazard being a virus. But this particular strain of virus um, has a whole lot of dynamic nature that we didn't know about before. And it's adapting. And it's adapting and it's changing. But and I think if you look at the way that a risk has been managed and we go back to the, that, that notion of concentric circles, here you have an example where workers imagined is this enormous circle. But actually, workers thought about, workers disclosed or workers reported and definitely workers done, actually they're minute in relation to that massive circle. And that's why you have this huge disconnect it doesn't take time, or it doesn't take great deal a, a great deal of time, but it does take meaningful conversations to be had to bring those four things back in line. And I think you know Victoria is a really good example of where a, a mandate was put forward. This is what we're going to do, but actually there wasn't enough emphasis placed on making sure that how work was thought about was in line with how it was imagined. And certainly not enough thought was put down to how work was reported or disclosed about, and certainly not enough was done around how work is done. So all of those those circles became completely out of kilter. Yeah, and you know, and we're left with what we've been left with, you know, and and it's going to it's going to affect people for many years to come. Exclude if you exclude the poor people that have lost loved ones, the people that have lost their jobs and the economic. Um, damage is done you know and it comes back to a system and back to that point is work is imagined and work is done they were uh, wildly different yet the inquiries that are being undertaken um, are still based on blame 
yes, rather than based yeah. on on learning. They're based on retribution rather than actually looking at the restorative process, uh, particularly when um, this virus um, has not been eliminated, has not been eradicated, is something that we have to live with for another period of time, which is yet to be determined. Um, you know, I, I was. You know, being reminded just recently that um, uh, the, the the recent flu shot that I had um, uh, has elements of viruses going back to the Spanish flu with H one N one. That these viruses don't disappear. No, that, that, they're at low they're, levels they're in the community. Present. There's always low levels. Absolutely. So I, I think, like everything else, we should look at this as being a learning opportunity, and asking ourselves the question, how do we make our systems uh, more resilient so that we can, I think what you're saying, Glynis, allow risk to ebb and flow through the organisation but not allow it to break the system. Very much so. Well put. Well, I think you made a really interesting comment there about that it is, you know, when we're talking about work as imagined and work as done, is that if you get into that retributive type of justice that we've, we're seeing in Victoria at the moment, work is, dis- work is reported, you won't get what you're looking for. And so it's important that you have a... a, a conversation and you can have conversations where there is some trust in it that people can tell you how it's going and you can adjust work as imagined and work as thought and bring those things closer together and you know to Glynis's concentric circles it's not one huge one with a couple of dots in the middle that they're much more closely aligned and I think you know it's it's a great example that we can learn from for many years to come. And I think what we need to do is look for opportunities for learning. I think we need to look for opportunities for workers to gain learning and gain understanding. And we need to look for opportunities for the organisation to gain learning and to gain understanding. Right. And our new phrase for the day is that we need to keep learning and improving to reduce uncertainty. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on, go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.